Hey everyone, it's Peter Rosenberg from Cheap Heat. Join me and the fearless, physically large stat guy, Greg, and of course, Super Agent 35 under 35 Dipperstein as we tackle the biggest stories in pro wrestling each and every week. To hear us, follow the Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. What's up, everybody? We back. R2C2. Another week. We've got a bonus app. That's right, man. We, we're coming back with coming back with fire this week, all right? Because right now we're in the throes of NBA and NFL news, right? And, you know, big moments in time for the NBA. You're starting to see some rosters take shape, some big comebacks with Kyrie and Clay. Trade deadline now only a little over a month away, right? You, so you're trying to, you know, kind of... Uh, get your bearings there on the NBA season. And then the NFL. on the NFL, we're about to go into the playoffs, man. Yo, listen, so, I'm always wrong about a lot of shit always, like all the time. But I wasn't wrong about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I've been screaming about them two for four, three years now. Like I, I've been telling everybody that, well, listen, Joe Burrow is going to be the best quarterback in the league and Jamar Chase is the best receiver in the league. And last two weeks, bro, these motherfuckers are ridiculous because in, in, you know, people make excuses for quarterbacks and, and you know, the offensive line. But there's tears to these quarterbacks, right? It's like, it's Brady, it's it's uh, Aaron Rodgers, it's uh, Mahomes, Kyler Murray. And now you can put fucking, I'll put, I'll put Joe Burrow above Kyler Murray. And then you've got wow. the tier where you got my guy, you got Kirk Cousins, you got Derek Carr, you know what I'm saying? All these other quarterbacks that are just, you know, okay. And, and they always get excuses where, you know, the offensive line, if they had this, if they had that. Nah, man, the Bengals' offensive line is kind of trash. Like, it is really trash, to be honest. And these motherfuckers light people up, cuz. So I don't want to hear no shit about that. It's the quarterback, man. It's the quarterback play. And Joe Burrow is, is one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. That was perfectly stated, see? Like, yeah, there are guys who can win with the right circumstances, and then there are guys who are going to win regardless of their circumstances. Joe Burrow's one and of those guys. He's, he's one of those dudes. So with that in mind, we have Shefty coming out in our next pod this week, and we have Zach Lowe coming out today. Uh, hope everybody had an outstanding holiday, by the way. Uh, see, I know you're, uh, y- you, like so many people, had to navigate Omicron during these holidays, but were you able to, to at least have... Uh, uh, your auntie's dressing and and oh and no, still we had a great a time. Bit? Yeah, we had good. a great time, man. Everybody was in the house together, so it ended up working out pretty good. Good, man. I'm happy to hear that, and hope our audience is staying healthy and still found uh, you know joy and family time during the holidays. And yeah, see, I mean, Zach is as knowledgeable as anybody when it comes to covering the NBA. Senior writer for ESPN for so long. He's just we go through so much stuff with him. Yeah, uh, just like we're gonna with Shefty. Uh, as we get ready for the NFL playoffs. But, you know, whether it's Kyrie, Clay, uh, you know, Nets, Bulls, Heat, who's the East contenders, uh, Milwaukee, Lillard trade, Simmons, uh, Lakers issues, what are they going to do? Uh, the Warriors and the Suns, who wins the West? Like, Zach, Zach's going to hit on it all. So you're just going to get, you're going to get everything you want, hoops-wise here, I feel like, see? Absolutely. 
So C and I had questions. We figured you had questions. We wanted those questions answered. Here it is, the first R2C2 of 2022. And remember, you also now have our brand new YouTube page. So make sure you're following us on YouTube, R2C2 on YouTube. And you can, of course, catch us on all social platforms as well. Here is Zach Lowe, my neighbor now, by the way. Great dude on R2C2. Man, I guess my first question is the uh, the trade deadline coming up. What would a Lakers roster look? What would it look like <laughs> after the trade deadline? Right off with much the they Lakers. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what everybody Lakers. wants but, to know. But, but, by <laughs> the way, this is, this, this is the best part, Zach. Is like we're such. I mean, you know, obviously the hoops work I do and everything, but we're just such big basketball fans. fans. I feel like you're just going to get peppered with a million questions like that. Random stuff. What I'm saying is we're starting off with the 500 mediocrity like the Lakers <laughs> is leaning right in like that. No, that that's that's the story of the NBA or just like in the MLB. If the Yankees are playing bad, the Lakers playing bad, the Cowboys, yeah. that's the story. People yell at me sometimes. You talk about the Lakers too much on your podcast. I'm like, huh, let's see. They're the most popular team with the most <laughs> famous player, and they're not playing that well. Yeah, I'll probably sh- I should probably talk about the Orlando Magic instead of the Lakers <laughs> today. That, that'll be good. Uh, the Lakers, like the last time LeBron had like a team that was kind of scuffling before the trade deadline was his last year in Cleveland, and they basically traded like seventy five percent of the team and got a whole new team. Yeah. <clears throat> so that makes me a little worried for the current Lakers, but they just don't have much to do. Like they traded most of their picks to get Anthony Davis. They traded a whole, but they traded a whole team to get Russell Westbrook. And so they really got like THT, Kendrick Nunn, one first round pick way in the distant future. Like there's only so much you can do with that stuff. And I think they'll try because they, right now they know they're not good and they're banking on LeBron and AD being healthy, AD coming back. But you look at the top three in the West, man, that's a murderer's row. You got to be really good to beat those teams four times in seven games when you're not going to have home court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Zach, where did they go wrong? Like, is were there, is is it not bringing back Caruso and Caldwell Pope? And what were the, are those the two moves that would totally change the way that we would be looking at this Lakers team right now? Well, let's, let's start off with this. A healthy LeBron and AD, and LeBron is playing out of his mind right now. Yeah. That solved, those two rolling solves a lot of problems. Like, we can start fretting about Russell Westbrook and like Kendrick Nunn hasn't played in this. Like, if those two dudes are healthy, that solves a lot of problems. But if you look at how they won the title two years ago, it was AD playing the five when it mattered. And a bunch of pretty good three and D guys are on the right night. Like they'd be three and D or the three would lift up yeah. to the D. But <laughs> Kuzma, Kuzma, Caruso, even Rondo shot the lights out that mm-hmm. year. That was a little fluke. KCP. And, and, and they basically sacrifice all of that stuff to get Russ who we all knew was going to be kind of a tricky fit as a, as a guy who needs the ball all the time and is a total non-shooter when he doesn't have the ball. And some of that is rust, but some of it is like we know by now if you surround LeBron with a big guy who rolls to the rim or can shoot, and AD can do both, and a bunch of 3 and D guys, like you're going to be a championship contender. And for some reason, they went really far away from that in building this team. Yeah, yeah and I, I always, I never, I mean, even with the healthy LeBron and AD, I never thought it would work. With Westbrook, and I think that's you know the easy long low hanging fruit, but it's just the obvious. Th- that's where they went wrong. Is trading is trading all the extra pieces to go get Russ, and it really made made no sense to me to 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 make that roster move. To be honest, 
Well, they had another deal on the table, as you guys know, that was sitting there for him for Buddy Heald. And look, Buddy Heald's not really shooting that great this year. He's not a good defensive player, but he's a shooter. And if they had done that deal instead of the Russ deal, I'd have to go back and rearrange the pieces. But I think they'd still have KCP, who's a perfect fit for Braun. They -hmm. could still have Schroeder if they wanted to. Maybe they could have Caruso, although they would have been luxury tax concerns. It's like the talent drain. And they did okay, like... Malik Monk was a good signing. He's playing well. Bazemore has given them nothing, though. Like, it's hard when you're trying to get five minimum guys in the same offseason. It's hard to hit on more than one or two of those. Yeah. Zach, is it at the point? Like, let's say let's say AD does get healthy, and we know that's that's not just a this year thing, right? That's part of the fabric of his career is questions about whether or not he's going to be at his peak uh, physically because you know this is not a one-year thing when it comes to his injuries. But let's say he does get healthy, and he is at his best, and LeBron stays healthy and keeps playing like he is right now, which is just remarkable. Would you look at them as a title contender then going into the playoffs if they have those two things but don't make any other significant moves? First of all, in fairness to AD, the last two or three years before this year, he had become a pretty durable player. Like all that yeah. stuff in New Orleans, he had kind of left in the rear view. And then this year, it's starting with the groin injury last year in the playoffs. And this year, it's been back to being banged up. Title contender, to me, when you say that phrase, that phrase means something to, to different to everybody. To me, when I hear title contender, what I hear is I don't need to get any breaks Right. Like mm, I don't need mm. I don't need any injuries on the other yeah. side of the bracket. I don't need the matchups to break right. Like I might lose, but I don't need anything to help me win. I got a puncher's chance with with what with normal matchups. I can't put the Lakers in that category until we see a team that plays consistently for 15, 20 games. Because if you're gonna have to win a first round, if you're gonna have to go through two or three, probably just two of Phoenix, Utah. Golden State and then whoever comes out of the East. I mean, that is that's tough sledding for a team that frankly just hasn't been that good so far. Along those lines, one of the teams that you just mentioned, Utah, which uh, you know, they probably, you know, they're not the first team on people's minds unlike the Lakers and I think almost to this point of the season maybe to a fault, right? Like we the focus has been on Golden State, it's been on Phoenix, and then it's been on can the Lakers get there? It hasn't so much been on a Utah team that who knows may very well end up finding itself with the best record in the NBA when this season is done. Do you look at them and say, okay, like this year they have what it takes to get through a postseason and this is why? Or is this another year where the Jazz have an outstanding regular season, but ultimately probably still fall shorter than expectations come the playoffs? I think they're in the title contender inner circle. Now, would I pick them over Golden State or Phoenix? No, right now I wouldn't. I think they're one defensive wing away from being really comfortable that they can go toe-to-toe with those teams in a seven-game series. But I think they can win it all as is. They won't be my pick to win the West, but I think Mitchell has leveled up. And, you know, we've seen what he's done in the playoffs before. He's an assassin in the playoffs. Gobert has leveled up. And to me, the difference is now... You know, they've had four straight playoff eliminations that left a sour taste in their mouth, right? The first two, they couldn't make a shot. Their offense totally collapsed. The most recent two, their defense let them down. I think their offense has reached a point where it's pretty much slump-proof over a seven-game series. Their offense is so good. They're number one by a mile. They're on pace to be the best offense ever in terms of just raw efficiency. So I think if they can just get... I think if they can defend at an average level, they have a chance to beat any of those teams. 
will they try to upgrade at the trade deadline? Yeah, Danny Ainge just got there. I didn't think he got there to make some noise. We maybe just minor noise this year. But I, I think Golden State, once they get Clay back, is the favorite in the West. But Utah, Utah is good, man. They're good. And I know everyone focuses on where they went wrong in the playoffs and likes to point the finger at Gobert and how the Clippers beat them without Kawhi and all that. That's all fair, but they're good. Yeah, I mean, like you said, but the Golden State getting Clay back in the West is just going. I mean, and, and whenever Wiseman gets back, it's just going to make them that much better. Yeah, Golden State. I thought they were going to be good this year. I, I kept telling people hammer the over on them, but the over was forty eight and a half wins. Like this is ridiculous what they're doing. Wow. I don't think anybody. <laughs> I don't think anybody saw this coming. And and Clay will just have to see. And Wiseman, I I think it's TBD on Wiseman. Like I don't I don't. Looney has been really good as their starter. They love Looney. And then they play small ball and they're like unstoppable. And I don't know how Wiseman really fits into that puzzle. That's going to be tricky. You know, I was listening to Van Gundy on the Low Post uh, pod, Zach's Outstanding Podcast, the other day. That was a great, great listen. You guys covered so much. And you did indeed plan, spend plenty of time on the Lakers. Um, and, <laughs> we did. We and, did. But, but you, when you talked about Golden State, one of the things that Jeff pointed out was he was saying kind of like this idea that Clay just gets added to what's been going on is actually somewhat of a misnomer because you have to remember the guys who've been playing in his place have really been contributing. Playing well, yeah. Yeah, abo- above, you know, expectations, maybe even above their skis, we'll see. But so I guess how do you look at, you know, the implementation of of Clay, given that he hasn't played basketball in a while, and obviously there's a little wild card there. He is still, you know, the the seventy seventh greatest player of all time. Ooh, and, he's not gonna like. He's not gonna like that. Nah, he's not he's gonna a, like that he, shit. He, he, he's he. Hey, I'm just I'm just talking about his jersey number. Uh, but he's <laughs> but he you know he has that obviously Zach uh, being one of the greatest players um, of all time. We'll put him top seventy five. But but he also is gonna then take minutes from some guys who have been really playing well, right? So I mean, how do you assess what happens with Clay coming back? And knowing, you know, the inertia that Golden State's built up to this point. So I'm more optimistic than Coach Van Gundy is just because two things. Number one, Clay Thompson just standing there is oh, a whole yeah. big deal, man. Just stand like he can't move. He can't run like he used to. The second greatest shooter all time is over there. Yeah. Like you got to be in his pocket all the time. And there probably will be 20, 30 games, maybe the whole rest of the season where he's trying to find his legs like he had him before his injury, maybe he never has him back. But to, to, to Coach Van Gundy's point, when you ask me, like, who is he taking minutes from? He's taking minutes from Jordan Poole, Gary Payton Jr., some combination of, or excuse me, Gary Payton second, some combination of, like, Otto Porter, Bayalitza, Juan Toscano, Anderson, Damian Lee. Like, I'm pretty confident Clay Thompson's going to be at least as good as that collective of players. <laughs> is there a universe? And that's no slight to those guys. Those guys yeah. are all playing well. Yeah. Like, I, is he going to be as good as Andrew Wiggins, who's averaging 20 a game, shooting 40% from three and playing great defense? Maybe not. But I think he's going to be additive when you just parcel out. He's taking three minutes from that guy there, four minutes from that guy there, five minutes from that guy there. I'm not worried about that. No, and like you said, just being able to just put him in a corner. And just let him shoot is is going to create space, and I just think I mean there's there's no way it's not going to be additive to their team adding the second best shooter of all time, whether he can run and get to the hole or not. Like just him 
standing behind the three-point line is going to open up the offense for sure. To, to me, the question with is defense because Clay was yeah. kind of like one of their stoppers before yeah, the injuries. He was. he was the guy like, we need someone to guard Kyrie. We need someone to guard Harden. Like it was him and Andre Iguodala and sometimes Draymond. And I'm interested to see how that works. But again, it's not like other than GP2, the guys he's going to be taking minutes from are, are, are stoppers in their own rights, you know? And they have a great culture, too. Like, you know, I mean, he, he's been around there. He's been rehabbing. And the culture's good in Golden State. So I don't think there'll be a problem, those guys, you know, shortening their minutes. You know, that's something, actually, I talked about with Steve. I've had a, a ton of Golden State games thus far this year. And, like, just seeing the way their sort of 8 through 12 changes on a night-in, night-out basis and the benefits of that for for your team, for your culture, right? When everybody feels like they're getting involved. And we've seen it, whether it's, Chris Chioza all of a sudden getting run and contributing or Juan Toscano-Anderson going from out of the rotation to, you know, playing 30 minutes or, you know, or or Damian Lee, you know, getting 25 minutes and then 10 or or Bielitsa who plays eight minutes and all of a sudden plays 30 or Porter or whatever. Uh, to your point, see, and, and Zach, I, I feel like this is a maybe a little unique uh, to Golden State. I feel like they've done such a great job with, the back end of their bench that they don't really have the issue of like this is this guy going to be upset you know with, with with sitting this time because I think everybody kind of knows oh I'm going to get in there at some point and I'm and I'm going to be I'm going to be valued I'm going to be relied upon like they they've really gotten a lot out of the back end of their roster and let me be clear about this I'm wrong about a lot of stuff like I thought the Hawks were going to be the third seed in the East this year they're like 11th so like I, let me just preface this by saying that. But part of the reason I was optimistic about the Warriors this year was their 15-5 and run to finish the season last year happened when they stopped playing guys who didn't know how to play their read-and-react system, who didn't know how to run and cut and screen with Steph, and started playing guys who knew how to play that way. And it's like, oh, here they are again. Like, yeah, they don't have clay, and they're sort of like the Warriors light, but they were still the Warriors. They were still a problem. And they just doubled down on that in the offseason. Every single guy you just named has an innate feel for how to move around and play with Steph. And there's nobody that plays anything like this style. And when you run into this style and a bunch of guys who know how to play it in the regular season, it's like, whoa, we just played 10 straight games against like normal NBA offenses. And now we are, what is, what is this thing we're dealing with? <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny about you saying it that way, Zach? I, I literally, I, I, I told Steve this last time I was um, doing a game. Sitting courtside and calling the Warriors the difference between the purpose and pace with which they cut and move consistently and every other team I sit there and, and watch courtside, it's so different. Like, it really is. It's so different just the, their movement, their constant movement and the just the conviction behind it. And it's it sounds sort of like I'm not talking in total specifics, but it really is the best way to describe it. Like, you can feel... You can, it's actually palpable, the conviction of their movement, and you can feel it sitting courtside when you watch the Warriors. And I think that's, to me, that's very different than any NBA offense. And I, I, I didn't thought of it in those technical terms, Zach, but I'm guessing that is the manifestation of the system that you're talking about. And with all due respect to Draymond Green, who I think is a genius and really will, by the end of his career, have, have a case of maybe the greatest defensive player ever, certainly of this era. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Clay, and Clay, who's Clay, and Steve Kerr, who's the architect. Everything you just said starts and ends with Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the system. He is everything they do there. And you just look around the league. 
There are other guys who shoot threes really well from really far out. Damian Lillard, Trey Young, blah, blah, blah. Watch any of them. None of them move around like Steph. No one has ever shot and moved like that. No one's ever shot like that, period. And you add in the movement, guys just don't play that way. And I don't know why it is if they're just not used to playing without the ball or they've always grown up being the number one ball handler or all that. It's just really, really hard to deal with. And Steph, early in his career, could have said, hey, I want to be – I want to be, you know, the guy who runs 70 pick and rolls every game. I just want I just want that. And he never did. And I don't really know why he never did. Um, He certainly had the status to do that. It all it all starts everything that's happened to that franchise, the new arena, the gazillion dollar valuation, (laughs) the championships, everything starts and ends with him. You really cannot exaggerate his impact enough. And then that's when we'll be speaking to the culture. And, you know, everybody's going to get along and nobody's going to have a problem with minutes because when your best player and probably, you know, one of, I mean, one of, the be- one of the best players of this era is running around and hustling and doing the things, the small things and little things, um, it just makes everybody, you know, get on that boat. But I understand what you're saying, Ryan, about, like, how they run the offense with conviction. Yeah. Like, other guys, other teams run the offense, like, pass the ball and then a set of light screen, whatever. The Warriors run their offense like everybody's going to touch the ball, and everybody does touch the ball when they come down on 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 the offensive end. So, I mean, that's just that's just the the separation in their offense and the way they run it. It hops, man. It really hops. To stay stay west for a moment, Zach, uh, and you know we'll have plenty of questions about things happening east, especially in Brooklyn. But oh, okay, I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that. Do we have a, do we have an epidemiologist on call that we that we oh, can add to the conversation? Gosh, I think I think I think we should. I I, I think we should. <laughs> I um, Phoenix. Do they need anything in order to be able to beat the Warriors or? Or, or win a title, or is it just going to be a matter of like, hey, they have what they need. You may win, you may lose a series against a really good team. That happens, right? Or, or, or is there something? Is there a hole there with Phoenix that needs to be addressed uh, by the deadline? I don't think there's a hole. I think it's closer to what you just said of like sometimes you just lose. Like sometimes yeah. a, a great team is just a little better than you. I think there's maybe a slight imperfection. Um, they're a little small and that got exposed in the finals last year when the Bucks just hammered them at the rim and got to the line and all that. They're not a great rebounding team, which I think again, comes back to that. They're a little bit small. And I, I, in watching them this year, I think the only thing they miss is, and I don't know if there's a player like this. I have some ideas, but the Tory Craig piece last year of the big supersized wing who could defend mm. a lot of positions and crash the glass. They've kind of downsized that to Landry Shamit, who you know well, and is a really good player and adds a shooting dimension that Torrey Craig doesn't have. They sometimes just feel a little small to me. And again, that's not a hole because they're awesome. They've won more games in the last two years than like any NBA team other than two or three have won in two calendar years ever. It's just an imperfection. And when you get into the playoffs against the very best teams who are as good as you, like an imperfection might be all it takes. Yeah, it is CP3 amazing. He's staying healthy too, though. I think like he's he's always hurting the playoffs or down at the you know when it comes down to the last game or game seven or you know the last game of the series. He's all, he's never in there. I mean, even last year in the finals, it was COVID. You know what I'm saying? It was just like it's well, just no, always something he, at the end of the. And no, he, he, had, he when he came back, but he, but he had something he with his back. hand, right? Didn't he do something with his hand in the finals last year? I'm trying to remember. He had a wrist thing that he had wrist. surgery on in the offseason. Yeah, yeah, and in, yeah. The, in the first round against the Lakers, remember, he hurt his shoulder. He was playing with yeah, one arm. Right, right. He yeah, stopped, yeah, yeah, stopped yeah. Shoot, they stopped guarding him from three because they knew he wasn't going to shoot threes, and they kept they survived anyway. I I, I love CP as a player. 
Um, it's amazing. And I and I root and and I root for that health piece too. But again, it's like he's six feet tall, playing thirty five minutes a game, and he never slows down. He's never taken anything easy. Like that's a that's a hard load to carry in a league of six six mega athletes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Last West question: Portland Lillard. Oh uh, man, Lillard. I was gonna get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you frame no, it all you want. No, yeah. You go ahead. I, go ahead. I mean, Zach, is there? Is there any chance that there's movement from either side there where like Damian says, okay, now I just see it's not going to happen or where the Blazers say like we're banging our heads against the wall and this is our best piece. He also obviously hasn't had a typical Damian Lillard season at all. Um, or, you know, or there are other avenues like do, does something seismic happen there even if it doesn't involve Lillard? How do you see things playing out in Portland within this season, uh, whether it involves Lillard directly or, or McCollum or some other things around him. Yeah, they got that win at home against the Hawks last night when Trey had 56, and they really needed that because it kind of feels like they're drowning right now. Yeah. They're, they, they're, they're on a, they, they have not played well in the last month. C.J. McCollum's out with the recovering from the collapsed lung thing. They've had Nurkic in health and safety protocols. Dame missed the game last night. Simons, who had 43, was in health and safety 43. protocols. So it feels like they're just trying to save their season um, before the trade deadline and not have it spiral out of control. I don't know what's going to happen there. Dame has kind of painted himself into a corner with some of the things he said about never wanting out of Portland. But, um, you know, those are those are just words and things change all the time. And I don't know that there's going to be a deal uh, this season, but if they don't turn it around, it's inevitable at some point they're going to they're going to have to do something. And I just don't know. Look, I racked my brain a few weeks ago for fake CJ McCollum trades that could really help their team. It's it's harder than you think with his salary and 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 all that. It's not it's not as easy as people think. So I don't the best bet is always status quo. Uh I, I guess I would bet on that, but it's 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 teetering there. All right, we'll go east and we'll go to Brooklyn first, Zach. And we have plenty of questions, right? Kyrie, this podcast is releasing. Tonight, as we record it, um, which is Tuesday night, Kyrie is due to make his season debut tomorrow in Indiana. Um, I guess we could start there, Zach. I, ha- I, you know, yeah, we'll start there. There's something interesting I want to bring up about odds in the Nets, but we'll start with Kyrie. Do you, do you look at this and say, I'll kind of ask you the question you asked, you asked Jeff, can the Nets win a title if Kyrie's just a part-time player? Or do you kind of have some sort of inherent belief that at some point he's going to play home games through one avenue or another? How are you looking at his return and the way it impacts this team and and its chances? For some reason, deep in the recesses of my soul, and certainly for no rational reason given how this has <laughs> unfolded, I just kind of am assuming that he's going to be a full-time player at some point. And I want to make clear, I have no information to that to that end I have no reason to believe that at all. It just feels like it, the most logical conclusion. Why would the most logical conclusion happen? I have no idea. It just feels <laughs> like he comes back into the fold part way, right? He starts playing. I I, I don't know how the how I don't know what he's thinking or feeling, but he he starts. I can in my head. You start playing. You're part of the team. You're winning. Oh, this is kind of fun. Oh, I got to stop playing for ten days. Well, that kind of stinks. Maybe. I, maybe I take whatever step I have to take to become a full-time. I, in my soul, I feel that. I don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, I do think they can actually win it all with him just playing road games in the playoffs. I think they're that good and they're that top-heavy 
when those when those three guys are on the floor, they're just really, really hard to beat. It's certainly not ideal. And if I'm a Bucks fan or a Suns fan or a Warriors fan or on and on, I'm I'm rooting for this to remain this weird part-time at best situation because they're definitely weaker um that way. And I thought before the season, before it became clear that this was going to be a thing, when we were all assuming, hoping everybody would play, I thought they were the clear and overwhelming favorites to win the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think if he's going to be a part-time player, you don't need home field. I mean, home court. Like, I mean, you kind of don't want home court if he's not going to play home games. You know what I'm saying? Like, if he's going to be a part-time guy, I would much rather play all three of those guys at, on, on a four out of seven games instead of in a game seven. In a game seven in Milwaukee, I'd much rather have all three of those guys and just have the two in a game seven at home in Brooklyn. You know what I'm so, saying? So when people bring this up, I just, I just can't. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. Like, <laughs> I'm telling it, you, like it, it's it, on the road, but those three, no, 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 I mean, you can I put them you. on the moon. Like, I get it you. It is what it is. They go. I mean, but what I'm saying is, if we get to April, last ten games of the season, and the Nets are basically throwing games, depending on what, <laughs> depending on what the standings are that day. Like, oh man, we're we're first. All right, uh, you know, we need the kid. We need to call up the Long Island Nets for tonight's game. <laughs> And then like oh oh but the bucks the bucks lost so our losing didn't work I mean if we, if this is there's something like gross and carnivalesque about that entire potential yeah. spectacle that my mind is just I'm not ready to even think about it yet that's where we at I'm telling you because I don't I know, think, no you're right I, the only way I think Kyrie gets to where he can be a full time player is, is if the, his teammates are influencing him like yo you see how like like you know with the chemistry and blah 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 whatever but other than that I don't think he's changing his mind. So it's just going to have to be him getting around the squad and, you know, the camaraderie picking back up, them having fun, like you said, and he him not wanting to stop that flow. But other than that, if it if it's not fun for him in that way, then he's going to be a part-time player. You know, it's interesting because like you, Zach, I have this inherent just like faith that somehow he's going to end up a full-time player. And it's not necessarily rooted in any reason or logic because – as we know, Kyrie is about the most unpredictable athlete at that level we've seen in the NBA. Uh, right? Antonio I mean, Brown, Antonio. Oh, in the NBA. Right, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. AB. <laughs> right, right. Like it's just like you don't know, right? We, last year he went AWOL for a couple of weeks. Like you know, Kyrie is not someone who I want to say, hey, you know, if you plug in this to the algorithm, this is going to be the result. Well, no, we really don't know his programming, but there are a few different ways that it could happen, right? One is if you you move to uh, some form of you know daily testing, you know supplementing for the mandate, right? Which you could make a logical case that you're a lot safer in a room where everyone's tested than where everyone's vaccinated, especially when you have variants that infect the vaccinated, right? At least you're talking about spread, not individual circumstances. Not to get too deep into the epidemiology as you referenced before, Zach. But you can make that argument. You could also have where prior infection ends up counting towards your immunity when it comes to the passport system, like you have in other countries, although we have not adopted here. You could have a scenario where he just is around his teammates, realizes what he's missing out and says, I'm doing this, right? Like That's I the only way, bro. Uh, I'm telling you. You also have the plant-based vaccine by GSK that had been talked about in Scoop Robinson's column that could get FDA approval maybe sometime in March. Or... The other thing is, and not, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but I thought this right away. Right now, he's in this window where he can't get vaccinated, right? 
like because he was just infected. So I don't know if it's 75 or 90 days. 90 after, days. 90 days, right? I, I don't understand how you couldn't get an exemption for right now while you can't get vaccinated where you could play at home. Like that to me seems like he probably should be able to for this period because he can't. And then maybe if he gets, you know, a couple months of a taste of home games, then it also further encourages him along the teammate line. Again, I don't feel confident about any of these scenarios individually, but collectively they somehow make me think it'll happen. But that last scenario you just said, like I honestly thought when he first came back and then the next day he was in a protocol, I was like, oh, like now he's got an exemption to play home because he can't get vaccinated for 90 right. days. So I thought that that was like a plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know. Like inject him with the virus? and then, like, uh, get this man the virus so he ain't got to uh, get the vaccine and he, get, he can play at home games. Do you ever have moments in the last two years when either you are talking or someone is talking to you and you're, you have this out-of-body experience where you say, I, I can't believe the, these words that are coming out of my <laughs> mouth or the other person's mouth. Like, what happened to our planet? Is this yes. real? What's, every second of Ryan's monologue right there, I was thinking, is this really happening? Is this, this is the world we live in, man. Is this what a basketball oh podcast gosh. is now? Is oh. This what we- oh. It's true. It's crazy, but it's yeah. true. It's true. I I have this inherent faith. So, Zach, when I look at the NBA betting odds, right, what's interesting is that the team we started off the podcast talking about, the Lakers, who were one of the top two favorites to begin the season, they've taken a nosedive, right, to where now they're behind Brooklyn, Golden State, Milwaukee, Phoenix, Utah, all those teams, right? And um, and Miami, I think, is even with them in a lot of odds, and, and, and the, the Clippers and Sixers are kind of right behind them. But the Nets, who have, up until a couple of days ago, still had the best record in the East, but I think have underwhelmed, at least visually, compared to what we were expecting, right? And have struggled against some of the top-tier teams. And although he started to look better the last few games, have not gotten the superstar James Harden uh, that we're used to, right? I think we've seen it more the last week, but they have not seen their odds drop. They still, you go across basically any gambling site, they still are the favorites to win the finals. Do you think that that is correct? Do you think the Nets on this date should still be the favorites to win the NBA finals? I would probably lean slight no just because, and I understand why they are, right? Like there's some, there's some sense that they'll be whole at some point. They play in the East. And I think the perception is they, the, the, the West road because of that top three may be harder than the East because there's a sense that there's a top two and then there's a drop off. Although Chicago is number one right now, Miami is damn good, et cetera. I, I just think I would lean slight no, cause they just haven't played all that well compared to expectations. I will say out of sight, out of mind, they miss Joe Harris a lot. Yep. And yes. he's a huge deal to their team. And when they, because I, I, I was talking to a GM about the Nets yesterday and he said, they have a lot of guys that you either don't have to really guard or you might be able to play out of a playoff series on on, on offense. Like they might not be able to defend well enough. And, and Joe Harris vaporizes one of those spots as a guy who fits like a glove, defends hard. And I, they miss him a lot. He adds a lot of dy- dynamism to their team. It's not just Kyrie. They miss him too. Yeah. It, it, if they, because it's, it's Zach watching them, the things that are alarming, right? 
the lack of shooting on the floor at times surrounding uh, KD and Harden. Um, I'd say at times also the lack of athletic punch too, like where, you know, they obviously, they get back both in Kyrie. You could say they get back both in Joe, although he's not like a, a punchy athlete because he, he moves. Can he moves. He yeah. moves. He moves around. He, he he cuts hard. He flies around the floor. Like he adds a lot of movement to their team. So is that all they need, or do, would they also perhaps need to turn a Bembry or Brown into a guy who does what those guys do, but also can shoot? Or, or is Harrison Kyrie enough? Well, a guy who does what those guys do and can shoot costs you like $25 million a year in the NBA. So <laughs> they're, not, they're not easy to find. Um, look, the thing about great shooting is the more of it you have, the easier it is to play a guy who's not a non-shooter. Like all the guys mm. you just named are kind of non-shooters. To me, if you could tell me right now, the Nets are closing every playoff game with the big three Joe Harris and just pick a guy. Maybe it's Claxton, yeah. maybe it's Brown, maybe it's whoever. They're winning the championship. Like if you could tell me that now, I'm not. I'm not worried about the rest of their roster. If I if I know that, and we haven't even talked about Patty Mills, like you throw him in the mix oh, somewhere. Been amazing. Yeah. Um, if you told me that right now, those four guys plus player X, like I think they're the best team, and I think they 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 who know if they were healthy last year, they might have just rolled. Like they may have rolled yeah. everybody last year. Yeah. I I I, th- I thought going into last year, if they stayed healthy, they weren't going to face more than five games in a series. No, a- yeah. a- and and I think kind of even seeing the first two games against Milwaukee without James, but having Kyrie kind of showed you like, oh, like they're they're in a different class. Like if they have the guy, they 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 couldn't lose two of the three, and they did, and that was you know that was their undoing. I will say, I think Milwaukee figured some things out about itself in that series and shed some of their demons and they they became a different team and they're a different team now than they were. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think what the big three played eight regular season games together last year. Last year yeah. And then they played the Boston series when, this, when there were real stakes and they made Boston, now Boston didn't have Jalen Brown, but they're a decent NBA team. They made Boston look so utterly helpless. Yeah. It was like, borderline disturbing how easy it was for them to put up like 130 you know offensive yeah. ratings yeah. of like 130 just like stratospheric offense like that's that series scared me a lot for the rest of the nba yeah i like i like your line if they have those closing four they they win it and we'll see for if sure. they do uh obviously it depends we on on the incredible conversation we were having before about Kyrie and the ways he can be on the floor. Uh, Zach, how about one of the other teams you just mentioned these Chicago? I mean, is this, this is a team I don't see. Are you looking at, are you looking at Chicago C and are you saying you think they can go to the finals or are they not there for you yet? No, I mean, I like Chicago. I think they're going to be a good regular season team, but I don't think, I mean, I think like what Zach said, if, if, if Brooklyn gets healthy, I don't think they can beat them in a seven-game series. I don't think they can beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series either. So, um, no, I think they're, you know, maybe a year or two away from being that contender in the East. Is that the right place to be with this, Zach? Because, like, I under, that's kind of like I look at them and I'm like, wow, they're having a great year. But they haven't yet gone to my mind of like, oh, and they can win the East. Like, I haven't graduated to that for me yet. Maybe it's just because I'm so surprised that they've been this much better than they were last year. But where, where are you at with the Bulls? First of all, if that's where they are, that's amazing. That the is amazing. Given, given amazing. where they started the season. Yeah. Uh, they were, they, they, to me, have risen to that tier where 
they're really good, but they need an ankle sprain or a matchup break or something to go right for them in the playoffs. Because I can't, I I don't see them yet as ready to take on full strength Milwaukee and full strength Brooklyn in a seven game series. Now, will we ever see full strength either of those teams? Like Dante DiVincenzo just came back and got hurt. Brooke Lopez is still hurt. Your old buddy Brooke Lopez, and we yeah, just talked about the guy. Nets. <laughs> so maybe maybe those breaks are baked into the East. But right now, I'm I'm not ready yet to say that. Miami, are they a team that could end up ousting one of the top two in the East in the playoffs? They are the sleeping giant in the East to me. Nobody is talking about them. No one's paying any attention to them because they've been so injured and banged up and got decimated by protocols like everybody else did. I said before the season, they have the third best championship equity to me in the East. I don't even care what their regular season record is as long as they're not in the play-in. I think they're fine and happy with that. I still think that that's true. Um and I would be pretty scared to play them, especially considering they've found something with some of these deep bench pieces that I've had to play with all these injuries. Like Max Struess is in the rotation now, and he's like another 40% three-point shooter. Um, and we'll see who else sticks there. Like Caleb Martin might be in the rotation now. Like those yeah. guys are good. They're playing well. They're good players. Yeah. They 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 also, we know they're so well coached. Uh, they, I, they're tough too. There's something about Miami. Well, that's like, Jimmy. That's Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Jimmy makes them tough. You if, know what if, you're, if, if you're not tough and you sign with the Heat, you're not on the Heat very long. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're you're gone fast. If you don't want to put on if you don't want to put on your knee pads and stuff for practice, you're not going to be on the team very long. Now, one team we didn't mention in the East, Philadelphia, and this was the other big trade thing I wanted to get to. By the way, Zach, I mean the the efficiency with which you're motoring through the the breadth of topics here is <laughs> is incredible. Like, you know. Big time, big time answers on on such a wide variety, Zach. That's that's why this is uh, right well, up our I'm, alley. I'm holding yeah. my tongue on one particular topic that I do want to talk about at some point. Oh, but go okay. I can't wait to hear this. So, the, it, Ben Simmons, you know what? But because if he moves, that could that could change the landscape, right? Depending on where he lands, what Philly gets from him. How are you looking at, or, or or what are you hearing, or just how are you assessing what could end up happening with Simmons within this season and how it might change who we look at as contenders, Philadelphia included? Right now, I'm hearing a whole lot of nothing, but that's there was a whole lot of something, and then Omicron came and everyone was just trying to fill their team out. Uh, there was yeah. a little burbling of some stuff. I don't think anything was ever serious. Things will get serious. I don't think... The Sixers are going to get what they've dreamed of getting, at least not this season. And so they just have to make a decision. Is 70% of what we dreamed of worth it? Because right now we're getting zero from a huge roster spot on our team. We're getting killed on the boards because we've lost our second best rebounder and replaced him with little guards. And we're not, let's face it, like they're not going anywhere with this roster right now. They might win a playoff round at, at best. And I think even that would be tough for them. But Embiid is playing absolutely out of his mind since he came back from, I don't even, I can't keep track of why people are out of the lineup, but he came back from something. And, COVID? Yeah. And I, well, he had that earlier, and I think he had yeah. another, another injury after that. He's playing so well that if they just got, I'm not even going to name names, if they got a, some an imperfect fit who's not as good as Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, or if they got three role players who at least turned a zero into something, you know, I, 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 can they get through the East? I don't know. Cause Simmons is a star for all his warts, but I, I, without, without a trade, they're, they're 
to me, first or second round roadkill in the East, which is a shame to say, to say because Embiid is just a colossal, colossal force. That's a tough decision to make, too, because Simmons is young enough. It affects so much more than just this year, but you don't want to, you really don't want to waste and just punt on a season when you have a guy like Embiid either. You know, it's a. They punted on a lot of seasons, though, Kaz. So, like, there ain't nothing new in Philly. (laughs) (laughs) They're used to it. They're used to it. Uh, So, um, all right. The last thing before I got to hear what's on your mind, Zach, the Knicks. Do they become sellers at some point here? And and if so, is there is there any you know kind of green grass out them if they do decide to sell off some pieces? I don't think so. I don't think they become sellers in any in any major major way because they're you know you know Tibbs. Yeah. He's never going to count them out until they're out, and they're going to try to win every game. They're getting Randall back what soonish. I can't yeah. remember if they play tonight. So they don't think their next game they get Randall back. Um, and and I don't really know. I mean, they could get something for Alec Burks, but Alec Burks is good. He's been a big part of their team. I think Fournier has been so disappointing this year that they'd have to attach something to get off of Fournier. So I don't mm. know that that's a piece you quote unquote sell and some sort of get give me a first round pick kind of deal. And Randall, I don't. I mean, there's been a lot of like, oh, should they trade Randall? I, you know, they just signed him to a big extension. He was such a huge part of their team and their sort of renaissance last year. I don't. I wouldn't expect a lot of action out of the Knicks, but. You know, look, I expect the unexpected, but I just don't see a lot for them to do. All right. So what have you been biting your tongue on, Zach? Well, look, I came on this podcast because you and I are colleagues and friends. And uh, CC, we've never met before, but you were a key cog on my fantasy baseball team before I had to, <laughs> I had to give it away. But it, but it, but I have to just say, I have to just put it out there. I don't hate a lot of things. I was taught at a very young age to hate one sports team. And so it took a lot for me to come on here because I still have hate in my heart for the Yankees. And I can't, and, and uh, I, 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 I've done bad, bad things because of the Yankees. The, the Yankees, I broke up with my college girlfriend. After, Did you kind really? Of, kind of because of the Yankees. He said um, kind of because of the Yankees. Wait, wait, wait. wait. He, you you got to tell, tell that, that story. story. Yeah. I don't even, honestly, I, I've kind of blocked it out of my mind. I just remember <laughs> they were all Yankee fans. Her dad was a particularly braggadocious Yankee fan. I grew up a, a, a Mets fan. The Mets are still, I don't really follow baseball anymore, which breaks my heart. But the Mets, the Mets, I, I watched every Mets game. Like the Mets were part of my soul and still are somewhere. And I just remember there was one day where things were going bad for that. It must've been an interleague game that was going bad. <laughs> and I was watching at their house and it was just getting ugly for me. And I just walked out. I just, without saying a word, walked out of the house, slammed the door, drove off in my car. And I don't really know what happened after that, but it was very immature. And I will say, I've also, I've also said this before. Oh, I, I am, I am afraid to truly answer my own question of what I would get, what I would have given up to have the Mets win the Subway Series in 2000, because oh, it oh might, my God. It, oh, it, it might be like an extremity or something like that, <laughs> like it, like like a I family member. I don't know. No, maybe not a family member. Well, it depends. Extended? I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know if you guys remember Game One of that series. Oh that's yeah, the, yeah. That's of course. the team. That's the Timo Perez game. Vizcaino. That's the hey, look when it, when they brought in Benitez to close that game. I think the Mets were up four three. They were. I knew. I never trusted Armando Benitez as far as I could throw him. I don't care what his record was. I knew 
they were going to blow that game. And when they blew that game, it was so, it's the worst sports moment of my life because I knew once you had game one at Yankee Stadium, you had a chance to lose it like that. It was just like all, it was over. And I just, I've never recovered from it. So this is just, this is like now a therapy session for me to see, um, to see a Yankees, a former Yankee up close and personal. Maybe this is a healthy step for me, but it, it hurts a little bit still. Oh, that's great. I always tell people that the Mets fans are the real uh, fans in, in New York because it's easy to be a Yankee fan. We win all the time. So, of course, it's easy. Like, But the Mets fans, the people that really rep the Mets and still wear Mets hats, like you're a real fan because you go through a lot of shit. And I'm a Raider fan, but the, but the Mets go through more stuff than I've seen any in any organization ever from well, like— the I last mean, year, like I said, I don't follow it now, but I see the headlines. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, no, it's outrageous shit. It's outrageous. It's just like the Raiders. It's outrageous <laughs> shit for us too. So, but I come back every week. So it's it's, it's being a real fan. Is, is this Scherzer thing gonna backfire on the Mets? Can you sell me? Is this too much money for one guy? Is this is this what else do they do? Are they is this good, Rooks? Should I be happy about I, any I, of this? I I think it's I think it's good because. I think you have an owner who can outspend his mistakes, right? Yeah. So, so like, it's only good if he's healthy at the end. Yeah, yeah. But you don't need is, him from April until August. You need him right. from August to October. But if he is, or even if he, even if he stunk, right? It's going to be bad in the interim, but it's not going to break you for the future. Whereas with some other franchises, it would, right? I, I especially look. Even the Yankees now are very cognizant of their Absolutely. dollars. You know, like they're not going to. They're not going to survive uh, a, a ninety million dollar mistake as well as the Mets do, right? I feel but, so ter- I feel so terrible to hear that. That yeah. so that so <laughs> that hurts me so much. I hope they're okay. Are they going to be? going to be okay? Are the fans oh, going to be okay? <laughs> Man, it, it's 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 crazy to think about. But so yes, I I actually I like it for their team anyway. But I also don't think it's a big risk. See, do you like it? Do you think like it puts the Mets in a category of? A different category of no, contender? Like I, yeah, I do. I mean, like I said, if, if I mean, especially because the East is so wide open. Like, the Braves, you know, came out of the East and ended up winning the World Series with, you know, 80-something wins. So, uh, I just think that he needs to be healthy at the end. If he's healthy at the end of the season, then it's all worth it. You know, if he, if he can be healthy for three years from August to October, then $130 million is worth it because he's going to pitch great in October. Yeah, let me give you a window into into how deep this was for me. I own one one official jersey across all sports, like official, like the kind they wear on the field, the kind you're like, I'm paying $300 for this thing because I'm such a yeah. crazy person. One, Todd Hundley, number nine. Wow. <laughs> that's Todd terrific. Todd Hundley. Yeah. Wow, that's a name from the past. Hey, that's hilarious. For, 40 homer Todd Hundley. Yeah. I mean, he, right? He was he was forty he plus. He was, the, he year, was right? the all-time record holder for catchers for a hot second. Yes, yeah. yes, he was. That's right. That's right. So, did Gary break his record? Who I don't know. No, well, Salvador uh, Perez is going to have Salvador it now, Perez. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, I, I, but somebody else, someone else had had passed it too. I think. But I, yes. dude, that's phenomenal. You know what's also interesting, Zach? What I love about you describing that game one, and I was there for game one of the Subway Series, oh. rooting rooting for the other team. Um, I and I was celebrating what happened with Paul O'Neill's hit bat against Benitez and Vizcaino's hit and everything else. But what's amazing about sports in general is how you know that's a five-game series, right? Which if you just look, oh, the Yankees took care of the Mets in five, that doesn't feel that close. But you know, 
you know it's a different series if just that ninth inning goes differently, you know? And that's how quickly things can change. And it's it's amazing that it, it, that's all it takes. And I think about it, see, even your guys' World Series in 09, like, it feels like, oh, you guys were clearly the best team all year. You took care of the Phillies in six games, okay. But you had two outs and were about to send in Phil Coke in, in a in a, a 2-1 series in game four in Philadelphia. And with, Johnny Damon takes and, extra base. Exactly. And, you know and, what I'm saying? And, and if A-Rod doesn't get that hit then with two outs like, off Brad Lidge, like, it's totally different. Zach, that's what I love about sports. Just like, hey, Milwaukee goes and wins the championship last year. Kevin Durant's toe is that close to, to making that storyline never happen. But you have to watch in order to actually grasp how, how close these things are. Kevin can Durant's give- Achilles, too, gave Toronto a chip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can, exactly. Can, I give you, can I give you one more? As a sports fan, as a fan, like take yeah. me back into my fan mode. Maybe the only athlete that I ever felt visceral fear of, like straight up fear at his very appearance. Not even, he didn't even have to appear on screen. His looming presence, fear, Mariano Rivera. Because you you knew, you knew, you could be down. This is how good that dude was. If you were down like 5-3 in the fifth, in a playoff game or like you were cheering, I was cheer- I would cheer against the Yankees no matter who they were playing. But if it was the Mets in a regular season game, you know, we got, we got to take the lead now because if we don't <laughs> right. take the lead now, it's done. Like they can bring him in for six outs, five outs. And you just, yeah, like that guy, I knew he, he might've blown a, they had that Indian series. He blew a save in that in like 97 or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was like automatic and just scared the hell out of me. It, yeah. It, it was the best security blanket ever. I'm telling you. Like oh, it was, yeah, you know best. what it was like. How many yeah. of those wins he locked down for you? Oh, it was it was amazing to have him back there. Like it, you know, it's just the game's over. I appreciate him more and more each year because even like Chapman's a great closer. I feel nothing close to a level of security when he comes into lockdown. Nobody a big else. Game in the There's no other closer but, ever. But, but that's my point. My that's my point. Chapman's one of the greatest closers ever. You 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 feel like I hope he gets the three outs. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. When Mariano Rivera came in. If he, I, I I use this example all the time. He blew a game against the A's once um, in, uh, I want to say it was like 2007. Or I think it was though, 07 or 08, because Pettit was pitching and Pettit was my guy and it, it blew his win, so I was upset. But anyway, he blew a save once where Marco Scudero hit a three-run homer. It was two outs, nobody on, and it went like walk, hit, homer, oh, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, remember that, that game, see? Yeah. And I, remember, I sat there looking at the TV for, I kid you not, 10 minutes waiting for them to show me the replay of what actually happened. Because i that's the way I looked at Mo. Like, if he blew a save, I would always just sit there waiting for the replay of what actually happened because there was just no There, there were guys that he couldn't get out, and Scudero was one of them. Because Scudero, because he had that flat swing, he would stay on his cutter. So yes. Scudero was a guy, and Miggy, Miguel Cabrera was a guy that Mo had trouble with, big it, time. It, it, you know, Bobby Wagner, our producer, makes a great point. He said, the thing about other great closers is even at their peak, that feeling of security goes away so fast, right? But with Rivera, even if he blew a save, you still felt the same about him the next day. Well, and because that if is you, so if, true. If everybody gets their, their ever, all these regular season closers are indestructible. Then they get their first taste of the playoffs. It's like, all right, let's see if they can, like Trevor Hoffman. I remember he was Cy Young oh, candidate. Yeah. Gets yeah. In the playoffs, he, like, you put him in the World Series. Like, I don't trust him. Like, Mariano Rivera, like, he's done it to, in the playoffs so many times. And, like, they would bring him in for eight outs, seven outs. It's yeah. terrifying. 
We we used to we used to we used to like guess how many pitches he would get in the inning. Like, oh, it's thirteen pitches today, eleven pitches. Like, whoever got close, like, would win. Like, it wasn't even a, a matter if he was going to save the game. It was a, how many pitches is he going to do it in. You know what I'm saying? Is it is it going to be less than nine? Like, it was it was uh, it was. Crazy, I felt man. I felt about him the way like a late '80s Cavs fan must have felt about Michael Jordan, except <laughs> except he didn't even have to be in the game. For me yeah. to feel that way. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's the perfect combination of absolute precision, a, a, an all-time pitch, and the greatest mental strength of any athlete I think I've ever seen. His, I mean, and if you look at, if you look at his play, his regular season numbers are astonishing. His playoff numbers are that of a deity. It's a it's, joke. It, it's, it's a, a joke. complete joke. They're it's, fake it's a, numbers. They're fake numbers. <laughs> 141 innings, which is a, I, I mean, we know it's a big sample size. It's a massive sample size and a 0.70 ERA. What, what is ridiculous. that? What are we even talking about? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. The guy's facing the best competition in the highest leverage situations. He had he gave up 86 hits in 141 innings against the best hitters in the world in the biggest spots. It's just it's no, that's crazy. There's only one Mo. He's one of one. He's wait, one of wait. One. I got I got one more hoops question about um, young you. teams. Like who's who's the best young team or or group of uh, guys on the team that you think can can make can step up and make that next move to be a championship team? I like watching the Rockets. Like I like Josh Christopher. I like uh, Josh Jaylen Christopher Green. is a deep cut. I like that. He's yeah. a good hooper. I've been watching yeah. him for he a is. long time. I watched him in high school. And he's a good basketball player, so I really like him a lot. And I like Kevin Porter Jr. So, I mean, I you know, I was arguing with some buddies the other day, and I was just throwing it out there. I was like, they're going to be like like uh, OKC when they had, you know, uh, when they had Westbrook and KD and, and, uh, and Harden. So, Ibaka. Yeah, and Ibaka. You, you, do you see that for, for any young team that, that, that right now is, is not playing good, but that could be good in, the, in a couple of years? I'm not quite there with you on the Rockets, guys. Um, although I, I do like what I've seen from Jalen Green so far. I think he's been about what they could have hoped for as a young scorer. KPJ, the stuff that happened this week, they 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 got some stuff to sort out there. Uh, not young per se, but I thought Denver was ready to be an inner circle title contender yeah. before all the injuries. And like some of their core guys are still pretty young, Murray and and and, and Michael Porter Jr. I like what Charlotte has cooking. Um, with with a bunch of with a bunch of wing. Now they're not that young, other than Lamelo and Bridges. But and Book Knight will will do stuff for them eventually. But they're a pretty young team. I like I like what they're starting to forge there. If they can just defend a little better, I don't even know what do the Hawks qualify as now. Are they young anymore? Right. Are they they're, too experienced to be yeah, in this they, conversation? They, I think they, I think they. The reality is they are though. They're right. They are still young. If you look at they and how many guys they have on their second contract, I, only. I mean, on their third contracts, Capella and Collins, basically everyone else is on either their first or their second deal, right? All, all their core guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, I, I like them. Well, Memphis impresses me too. Oh, Memphis is that, really we, John we Moran is a we, we overlook the obvious one. Memphis yeah. is, Morant is incredible. And Jackson has been up and down, but I, I have faith in him. And Bain has made a gigantic leap, and they've got all sorts of cap flexibility and extra picks. They are they are in a scary good spot. Yeah, yeah. they're a team. They're a team to watch. Zach, this is so much fun for us, man. Um, I I so appreciate you 
turning the other cheek to what your Met soul wanted you to do <laughs> and, and joining us to just douse us in the exact MBA knowledge we were both craving on this day. I think this was an important part of my personal journey. And also, <laughs> and also I'm going to have to get the Hunley jersey out and wear it around the house for the next couple of days yes. to, 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 make, to make up for this because to, 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 make, to make everything right. But I appreciate you guys having me on. You guys are awesome at your jobs. And it's, it's an honor to be on. But thank you for having me. Thank, thank you, you, Zach. We appreciate you, man. All right, see, we got our NBA fix. That was great, man. I, yeah, that was great. Uh, that was great. I, I love Zach going through everything. Um, and I think he could bring some calm maybe to uh, Nets World with his, if you have Kyrie, Joe, James, Kevin closing, you're going to figure it out. Absolutely. Because you just, you just haven't had that yet. So it's hard to evaluate this team, you know. But Kyrie returns tomorrow. See, will you be locked in? To yes, to watch Kyrie's return against I should Indiana. Be, I should be. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I should be. I should be locked in tomorrow. I ain't got I nothing that, going on. Must watch. Must watch. You're going to put Yellowstone down for a moment and yeah. go watch. Uh, yeah, I'll, if the, I can the, finish Yellowstone, then I, I'll get on. I'll watch the game. You know what I finally <laughs> watched? I finally watched Euphoria. Oh, is it good? I, Amber watched that. I never watched it. It's great. Zendaya is incredible. Um, it's it's not easy to watch. It's 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 a little bit... So it's not like a pleasant watch. It's like kids caught up in a really difficult high school world uh, with you know plenty of drugs and stuff like that. And it's just like there's some things that like aren't easy to watch, but the show is sensational. Almost like it's not the same at all. But you know, Ozark is sometimes not easy to watch, but it's oh, like yeah. a great show, thoroughly entertaining. That show's They're about very, to come back on. When's the next season? I think it's on January 6th, guys. I think it's in a couple days. No. No. I'm almost stop positive. It. I'm almost Are positive. You I think Ozark serious? is coming on. Wait a second. Are you serious? I think so. What's it? January 21st. Oh, 21st. See. Wow. You gave me big news there. I didn't know that. I thought we were going to have to wait like a long yeah. time. And we and we got Peaky Blinders coming back too. Peaky Blinders is coming back. It's a lot of TV, good TV on right now. Yeah, well, you know we're seeing I will be when we're not recording this or doing our other million jobs. That's what we'll be doing, watching those shows. All right, you guys, thank you for listening. Make sure you're following our new YouTube page as well, R2C2. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday. Bonus episodes like this as well. Adam Schefter up next. And big thanks to our outstanding producers, Bobby Wagner and Sadie Zillow. Peace, everybody. Peace.